This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time now for Sensing Bros, a programme about whānau, wellbeing and personal growth. This program is about natural buzz. There's a group of us brothers who are living alcohol and drug free and we want to share our stories and celebrate the things that are going right in the world. There's a lot of negativity. We're about positivity. We come from diverse cultural backgrounds, Samoan, Tongan, Māori, and we just want to share the love. Welcome to Sensing Bros. And thank you for those who have been giving us some feedback um, I'm talking today again with um, Talia Siatanga, my daughter. And the last couple of shows, we were talking about things that were going on in our communities, Black Lives Matter, um, and and other other thoughts that we had around the challenges that we're all facing at the moment in the global pandemic, um, and just. Just so you know, I had some technical difficulties. Um, so, part of our conversation or pre- previous conversation, um, we've had to kind of revisit. So, the that conversation that you won't hear really began with um, the idea that the question really that do you think that people or a, or a large percentage of the 7 billion of us on planet earth are doing the best we can with what we've got and the idea is really that how we answer that or approach that question kind of orientates us in some ways to how we manage and understand and deal with the challenges right now that we're facing. Um, There is the idea uh, that crisis turns people into their worst selves. The orientation that that I have and that we're we're really encouraging is that people actually um, pull together in times of, of extreme difficulties and and we can be hopeful in that our better nature is more prevalent so that was how uh, we began the conversation Um, I'm recording this from a different uh, place Um, just to give it a, a little bit of the setup for what follows hope you enjoy it um, and feel free to get in touch with us big thank you to our sponsor Mapimaya who and our team uh, who I work with as, as a counsellor and a health promoter right so after that technical difficulty I mm. think I might be able to manage this in editing okay we'll go back to that um yeah we, we the technical difficulty was 
that the batteries ran out in the recording and we cut we at some point I noticed and we're not exactly sure at what point it stopped recording That's right. <laughs> or if the old recording is even there so we're just going to pick off at a, a random point so the, so the question you asked okay so I asked you this I said have you heard of the concept of unbearable feelings which is something I've come across um, because I talk to the UC chaplain Spanky Moore Right. Um, sometimes I catch up with him at uni for coffee and stuff, and he introduces. Like he's he's somebody. Eh? He's yeah. <laughs> no, I hear good things with him. He's cool. He introduces yeah. like concepts, um, and this comes from living wisdom, life, and counselling skills. And so he sent me heaps of photos of the the pages. Oh well, see, and this is when we got into the conversation yeah, about and then, how David Riddell, the living wisdom counsellor. So he's the guy who. He's, like, he's the guy, right? Who, who wrote it and, and um, uh, wrote the book, and I remember getting the book also when I was at um, doing university mm. studies. But he he'd flown to Auckland and he was going around our team, and he was just meeting up with people individually as well. Mm. So yeah, he's been a significant person. And the interesting thing is, when I started my counselling work with Mapu Maya, thank you, Mapu Maya. Um, for sponsoring this, for sponsoring shout out. And just being you, <laughs> so that I can be do what I need to do as well. Um, he actually asked me in Auckland, and I had nobody had asked me this question for years and years and years. Mm. He says, "Well, what do you want to do? Or what yeah. do you know?" He asked me, "What do you like doing?" Yeah, you know. And uh, while I was up there, I'd, 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 I wasn't an academic; I wasn't formally trained, but I, I really started to read a lot more and I was mm. enjoying that and he was the guy who originally suggested that you go to university exactly. and you hadn't even considered it never it, when I could throw yeah. him back in 1991 and now I'm doing said, my masters I know so thanks so, Dave Riddell yeah and and um, yeah changing and, and the educational direction that he's he's had a major impact well they've had a major impact in the lives of um, of some people I'm doing some um, group work with cool yeah so the idea of unbearable feelings which was living wisdom mm. um, is is that at some point in life or maybe multiple points often early on in childhood people experience some feeling some emotion that they find so unbearable that they kind of develop coping mechanisms or armor to buffer against ever feeling that again and so right up until adult life people can could be really shut off to this particular feeling and it can even be difficult for them to identify what that feeling is because it's probably been so long since they've felt it because they've structured their lives around not having to feel it so you know if a feeling helpless you know, or like completely powerless, mm, people mm. maybe um, mm. develop, like combat that by becoming incredibly competent and independent, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and, and there's many, I think there's like, I'm looking at it here, there's 20 unbearable feelings that living wisdom have identified, mm. feeling humiliated, exposed, embarrassed, uh, feeling powerless, controlled or restrained, feeling taken for granted, um, even feeling bored is an unbearable feeling. 
feeling lost, feeling um, the feeling of being in debt can also be unbearable, feeling lied to, cheated, yeah, feeling futile, the feeling of futility. Mm. So there's, a, there's, a, um, there's an idea that um, the body keeps score mm. when the consciousness might not. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Very, say that again. The body keeps score the body of, keeps of very score. traumatic, yeah. painful mo- um, events, mm. but the consciousness might not. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a guy, um, Gabor Mate, does a lot around how tra- trauma affects people. Mm. And one of the things, one of the things, I do a lot of talking to people about is, is I, well, I put it in this way. I says, "What are we running to? Yeah. What are we running from? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And why are we running <laughs> at all? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the, that's so. That's um. And so when people start kind of waking up that, to the idea that it's also that they may have interpreted. An event that needs to be reinterpreted. Yeah, yeah. Because our memories aren't that reliable at times. Mm, no, that's why it's it's. Mm. I like that it's an unbearable feeling, yeah. not an unbearable memory. Yeah. It's like, regardless of the truth, that feeling yeah. is real. The feeling that it elicited. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Regardless of whether or not your interpretation mm. was. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that word unbearable is quite um, powerful, eh? Yeah, it is. What people can bear and what they can't. I, I often put it like this, what's, what's our capacity or our mm. agency um, to handle yeah. really life's circumstances that are difficult? Yeah. Um, and so I was listening to a guy the other night and he was talking about um, he wasn't talking about snowflake you know that old mm. sort of he was saying that we've got to be teaching from an American context students who are who are coming in mm. to campuses and universities because he says the mental health issues mm. are ginormous now for this Gen Z yeah especially after 2020 oh my gosh really well, what, what, I, well, that's after, just you my... You mean through COVID? Th- through seen. COVID and... Ah. and I, I can just imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, so... So, mental, so, yeah. so um, a lot of it is um, about how to strengthen resiliency in the face of adversity mm. because um, um, preparing people for hardships means that you don't... You allow people to take risks, you allow people to experience the hurt, mm. you allow people to go through the disappointments. Mm. You don't avoid them. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that's interesting because resiliency can sometimes have a tone of of um, armouring up, you know, mm. buffering. Exactly. Or avoiding or just yeah. like keeping on, keeping on, yeah. you know, keep calm and carry on. But emotional resiliency um, seems almost counterintuitive in that it means you have to kind of take a step back and look at your your emotional survival kit, 
that mm. has developed over the years mm. and see it for what it is and understand, you know, why you respond in certain ways to certain things and understanding that not everybody else is triggered in that same way and not not kind of, um, I guess, being kind to yourself in that process, having self-compassion. So, yeah, I mean, the defences that we build up aren't necessarily all bad. They're how we survive. There are emotional survival kits, but emotional resiliency is having that extra awareness, <laughs> like, awareness. of your survival kit, you know, and where it needs tweaking and where it needs to be strengthened. Yeah, yeah. And where some defence mechanisms aren't actually helping you. Yeah. Like, rage is definitely not a defence mechanism that helps people. <laughs> But it's quite often where people it's, go when they're feeling overwhelmed. And that feeling of overwhelmed is... Um, so, so one of the standard things, right, with, with um, talking therapies or, or... is getting... getting to the scripts or the thinking mm. that's re- oh, the beliefs at yeah. the deeper level about yeah. self that's really driving some of the ways we relate to that present yeah yeah so um, um, what you're talking about in terms of coping mm. with stuff that's overwhelming um, and rage mm. because you know some of the work I do with behind the rage is getting underneath it again yeah you know what mm. what is the beliefs that are giving this person per- permission yeah to rage yeah and stepping it back from the behaviour to the thinking mm. and then behind that what's the emotion that's actually they're cued into yeah that, yeah you know so we do that traffic light thing mm. green orange red type thing and then if you can do a circuit breaker kind of thing yeah and, and people practice the circuit breakers you can actually stop stop it from from firing up or yeah. Dan Siegel, have you heard of Dan Siegel? You've probably told me about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder. I, well, anyway, he he's um, he does he's sort of famous for um, well, he's an intellectual and he talks a lot about attachment and bonding and mm-hmm. stuff and also spirituality. Yeah, cool. Um, but he does the famous hand, brain, flip the lid. Um, what am I doing? I don't know. He's, um, he's waving his fingers and <laughs> trying to explain a I concept. Ex- I'm trying to explain what I'm doing. I don't know if you know this, but the people who are listening probably can't see your hand. All right. Okay. So go Google Dan Siegel hand. <laughs> hand. It's a, it's just Maybe a simple you'll way understand why he was right. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, there's a brainstem. Right. There's the uh, uh, amygdala, mm-hmm. which is our fear flight response yeah. mechanism and, and the structure of the brain. Mm-hmm. When we flip our lid, right, okay. right, we've we, we, we've we are not listening to our reasoning mind. We're listening to that fear flight we're, we're response. Being dr- yeah, yeah. And so we're, then we're reacting in that space, and um, and the idea mm-hmm. is, oh, sorry, what are you gonna? No, no, you finish your thing. So the idea is really to, to practice things that help us to soothe. 
Right, yeah, so and close the lid again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's a nice model. It makes it's a um, nice way of talking about yeah. soothing, calming mm. the emotion, taking out the threat, so that you can your prefrontal cortex, your executive functioning right up here, goes yeah. gets back online properly. Yeah. Yeah. And also, okay, gosh, I'm really definitely outside my sphere of competence, but I've been. I know that a lot of our emotional responses happen cognitively, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's useful to, to know what's going on in the brain mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. But for me, I've been trying to even build up like a daily practice of noticing where I feel my emotions in my body, <laughs> yeah. which is this practice of like embodiment. Yeah. And so I've noticed that I feel anger in my throat like you know like my throat gets real tight and then or if I'm feeling a little bit worried about something I feel it like in my across my shoulders and in my upper chest but when I feel peace it always comes from like my gut yeah so I kind of try and think even I've when I've been talking to friends and stuff and doing coffee catch-ups and they've I have friends who have like some some quite interesting things they're trying to navigate in their lives at the moment. Um, a lot of change. <laughs> um, I notice when I'm speaking to them from my, this sounds weird, but from my throat, <laughs> if I'm getting pent up and angry at something that's going on in their life, not at them, but like with them, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that wasn't right what that person did. Or when I'm responding to them out of like my gut, or I guess my womb, because I'm a woman. <laughs> you can't I, really speak I from your womb really, space. <laughs> I don't really have that lived experience. No. So. But like, but the, the idea mm. is like your core of peace. Yeah. Um, and actually feeling it in your body as well. I think that's really right. Um, and you know, did you want to say more on that? No, because, I'm finished. Well, three weeks ago, I had a, I was... Um, in a conversation with, mm. um, with a friend of mine um, and this was at work and she was saying something very similar about over the COVID experience Yeah, she's got a leadership role mm. um, but she's been noticing you know being very mindful of what's going on for her Yeah, and she was saying the same thing Yeah, and she was saying she feels it in her throat that's so interesting and, yeah. and that sort of that's where the frustration sits and you know I was relating it to my experience at at the big evangelical Pentecostal church for eight years and I felt like very much my faith I lived out of my throat it was always you're always pushing out I guess because it's evangelical and then the preaching was always very loud and aggressive and even the prayer meetings you were loud and you were praying and like shouting and declaring stuff because that's sort of the style <laughs> there. And it wasn't, it was a faith that very much came from not a place I think of deep peace or of intuition because there you're also taught the whole time that you're there basically the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. 
Yeah. They, they pick they one verse them. out of the entire and kind of construct uh, like a psychology around it in, in a physiology. Like you can't trust yourself. You can't trust yourself. And I think. Well, no, everything we've been talking about is like, yes, you do have coping mechanisms. Yes, you do have emotional survival kits. Yes, your memory can be, you know, can give you a false impression of things. But you do have this core of peace. You do have this intuition that if you can learn more about yourself and get in touch with that and, you know, start to really understand what's going on with you, you can actually trust yourself. You can trust yourself. And... Um, you don't have to live from this place of, of fear and frustration that like, I, I'm scared I'm going to be deceived if I leave the church or I'm scared that my heart is constantly mm. deceiving mm. me. Mm. It's like, no, maybe the trauma in your heart space is is not helping you grow mm. and it's, you know, you're believing lies about yourself, but actually there's a deeper place in you. Mm. Anyway, that's... In, I think that's really cool because that's having the freedom to be open mm. and knowing what your anchors are but not being so um, not 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 creating the bubble where other people's viewpoints aren't of value yeah or that, that or that they're a threat to you yeah because i often felt that way that it's sort of you do get that little niggle way mm. that, that thing that sits there mm. and certain kinds of teachings Mm. where um, um, even if it's well-intentioned, people are saying, don't listen to that person, don't listen to that, don't listen, just mm. listen to this. Well, well at this, this church that we yeah. are a part of, they literally would tell us, don't go read things that aren't written by people at this church. Who we approve of. Who all people we approve of. And the people yeah. they approve of were like Benny Hinn, you know? And yeah. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the prosperity preachers of, of yeah. and I didn't listen to that. <laughs> he was a little, always a little bit of a rebel. Yeah, I don't think many people really took that on board too much, which is good. But um, but that kind of attitude, I think, doesn't come from a deep place of peace. It comes from a no. I have to keep shouting at you and telling you the truth and telling you the truth and telling you the truth because if you don't, because if I don't do this, you're gonna you're gonna. Fall, fall away, going to backslide. Yeah, fall away. It's sort of the you're going to ex-fellowship yourself. Yeah, but but <laughs> you know um, the thing around um, the, th- the thing around growing and maturity, eh? Mm, um, yeah. And coming from that that place where um, where no matter what you do, you know that that the Creator God has not turned from. Yeah, in His heart, there's no shadow of turning. No. So. And yet. And yet. And yet, people are, act as if so many Christians act as if God's going to turn away from them. Yeah. If. If. So it's that what if Brad they don't perform, yeah. you know, in the right way. Yeah. It. It's because he, he does this. He's got this lovely phrase. I. Uh, um, God is love. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And justice, because people go, God is love and justice, and so, yeah. There's no end. Yeah. So justice falls out of. Yeah. How God is, you know, and God. Oh, the way I do it, because I um, 
is, is or the way I talk to people in that space is God never turned from me. Mm. I might be been looking all over the place, but it wasn't him turning and away and sort of saying, yeah, get, get yourself yeah. better. In fact, the prodigal son is a whole story of the father running yeah. when he saw him far off. Yeah, exactly. So it's not denying that. It's, um, but I love that idea that, that, um, that you know, there's no turning away. Mm. Mm. He's not afraid. I said it the other day in group. I said, yeah. actually, he's... Oh, sorry, do you want to... No, no, I'm, I'm listening. Um, yeah. So I think that's a, there's a, that, that kind of freedom means um, there's, no, there's really no fear. Because that's the ultimate, isn't it? Imagine yeah. that. Like, the ultimate fear for eternity, if people believe that, yeah. would be that somehow you're not going to get accepted yeah. in that moment. So many well-meaning, good-hearted Christians live. I'm not quite good enough. Driven by the fear of not being accepted by God. Yeah. Which is, actually, I think that's just. That you're gonna be. It's actually just traumatizing. I think it's powerful, powerful, and it can be abused, and it has yeah. been abused. Yeah. Um, I think it's 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 a message of acceptance, ultimate ultimate acceptance. Mm. And Brad Juzak talks about it in terms of penultimate. There is a divine moment where we will face, we will have to face up to stuff. Mm. But it's not to, it's not so we're cast into this eternal torment. Yeah. It's a passing through or yeah. a refining. Yeah. And I can accept that. Yeah. Okay, so we've gone on to that track, but yeah. shall we come back? Okay, yep. To the Hobbes state of nature. Yeah. And just so people know that. Yeah. Sorry. Ignore. Ignore the child. We're next to Plunkett. But don't ignore it if, if the child's in your room. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. No. <laughs> the child has a mother with it. <laughs> Him or her. With him or her. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very. Ignore it. Ignore the screaming child. Really. What can we say? It's like very. Um, Revealing. <laughs> yeah, it's very revealing. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to this um, human kind, and mm-hmm. you've got um, a hopeful history. Yeah. Basically, um, he, what he is isn't saying is that humans are all good. Right? Yeah. Because so he's this acknowledging is that there is a, a part of us. This is Root Root Gabrigman. Yeah. So Dad has this book on the desk in front of us called Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rutger Brickman, best-selling author of Utopia for Realists. Yeah. Anyway, anyway um, which we might talk about at some other point. Mm-hmm. What I'm really enjoying in the book is um, he's using research and stories to illustrate the possibility that we've, we've interpreted um, history through a particular lens, mm. and if we've interpreted it through the lens of um, we are nasty, yeah. mean, selfish, yeah, um, and we're not naturally collaborative, yeah, and cooperative and friendly, mm. then it really skews things in terms of. Um, when we understand, in terms of how we think about what's going to happen in a crisis. Yeah, right? yeah. So the crisis 
that we're facing in, at the moment, or, 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 or several of them, um, he says that people act mm. um, in a time of crisis generally a lot more friendly and kinder and it brings out their better selves. And we and know really, this. Yeah, uh, we've seen it here. In Christchurch, in yeah, Christchurch. we absolutely know this, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you're saying the news that you get in the media and the, the news is, a, is separated from good investigative journalism, right? Yeah. News pumps out this kind of sensationalist, everything's bad and crap and going down, mm. which is the theme of my book. <laughs> People, you can write to me if you're interested. There will be a book out at some point. No, um, which, uh, which is about pursuit of kindness. Yeah. So it's, um, he says it, you know, he tells the story of the Lord of the Flies. Yeah. You know, the boys to him. Did you read that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty, well, you're oh, golden. How old were yeah. you? I've never read it. I've, I know the movie. I don't know. You would have been at high school. He said it had quite a big effect on him. Right, yeah. And he actually got quite, he got, you know, he was really depressed or. Yeah. About it. Yeah. Because of, you know, yeah. the, what turned those boys turned into. And, but then he tells the story of what happened to six Tongan boys who were in Ireland, Ireland for 15 months marooned. Really? Complete opposite story. Complete opposite. Yeah. We're not Lord of the Flies. No. But to be honest, and if there'd been six girls, I think the story would be a little bit different. Ooh, that would be good. <laughs> so yeah. I probably wouldn't I'm disturb you. I'd be like, like, what do you think if it was six women? <laughs> but but six women would be sitting in a circle. Yeah. Singing, yeah. Kumbaya, I don't yeah. know. Well, they looked after each other. They cared for each other. I mean, yeah. they did all the things you need for survival. Yeah. yeah. They set up a way of being, or, or mm-hmm. they had a way of being, 15 months on this island. Wow. You know, and apparently that they're like going to turn that into a Hollywood movie. They did say yeah. he did say um, that he wanted to use an example. Oh, because Lord of the Flies is a um, is a fiction. Yeah. This yeah. was a, this was the only true life example of Lord boys of getting marooned on an island. Yeah. And it was the opposite. So he he does say you know it's yeah. Um, it's not science per se, but no. it's a nice contrast. Yeah. Pretty cool, eh? Yeah. But he, he, um, so I'm enjoying it. I haven't finished it yet. So he comes from uh, the idea space evolutionary mm. biology thinking. Mm. So I haven't yet got to the space where has he considered um, wider or, yeah. or, or a theological spiritual context, mm. which is a bit like some of the other people who are. Humanists, yeah. Um, with, you know, he also sort of critiques a little bit of Steve Pinker's stuff because mm. yeah, he's very much uh, um, enlightened, progressive, humanist. We've progressive. Come, we're a lot yeah. better off now in many. Yeah, the better angels of our nature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but mm. he, he revisits some of some of the, the stuff that's come through there. You know. Yeah. Because um, I think that can get a little bit off off track sometimes because you have to wrestle with, with the evil. darker side of yeah. human yep. of human nature and, yep. and the evil that we are capable of yeah and like what hannah arendt called which was um the banality of evil the banality of evil it's funny well it's not funny I, <laughs> but um that was one of the things at university that i i, I couldn't get out of my head yeah when I was uh, looking at here and the Holocaust, a lot of the Holocaust literature. Yeah. The banality. Yeah. 
Yeah, you have to look at it, and and it's it's Ravi's four things, mm. origins of life. Yeah. What our view is, where we think we've come from, why we're here, what we do, about the suffering, mm. evil and unnecessary suffering, and mm. um, what we think the life after this is. There a life after this, and what it's what it's like now and, and which is really interesting because in our lifespan which is very short mm. averages about 3,900 weeks wow now, yeah oh gosh <laughs> I know <laughs> don't be alarmed <laughs> 300 3,900 weeks yeah mm. yeah um you know, I've, be, I've got very interested in the science behind near-death experiences, mm. but also how people imagine the afterlife. Mm. Or in this, these days, in these times, um, I've been looking at, you know, what does for for Islam, for Islamic eschatology, which I'm not a, an Islamic scholar. I've got a very kind of surface understanding um, look like. What yeah. does Christian eschatology look like? Mm-hmm. You know, the return of the saviours. Yeah. What does Buddhist eschatology, in well, a different they, sense, look yeah, like? Yeah, they might the not have really an eschatology because I think they have more of a... My understanding, again, very surface level of Eastern versus yeah. Western... It's different. ...is that it's, it's more cyclical. It is. Yeah, so it is. It's, it's, it, it, it is in a way... Rather than, oh, we have a beginning and middle and then an end. Yes, yes, <laughs> the linear kind of like, yeah. no, this is sort of cycling. Which is my circles again. Your circles again. Yeah. So the circles. See the circles. <laughs> Life is a circle. Do you know what? If you take nothing years else ago, away from this conversation. Years ago, I did think about that and I drew circles on a page and tried to say, if you could create a graphic, that showed everything interrelating in circles, mm. moving through, um, like, it would be quite, quite... Well, do you know... It could become a tool for sort of profiling. Do you know a straight line is just a circle of infinite radius? Yep. Wow. Straight lines are just circles. If you... <laughs> just infinite circles. Wow. I learned that in projective geometry in high school. And, and Blew my mind. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it all along. <laughs> like smaller than an atom, the Big Bang. Mm. Like, like they say, thirteen point seven billion years ago. Where has yeah. this conversation gone? Um, well, life. Uh, um, well, we were talking about. We we're trying to get to the point where it's better to think better of people. Yeah, yeah. They're not, yeah. and and that lifts people's spirit. Yeah, and particularly in a time of crisis, it brings. It's. Um, what was the question that you asked right at the start? Right which at the start, we're which not sure if it, it's been recorded or not. <laughs> yeah. What was the? What nurtures people? Well, that's good because. Um, do we believe that people, all seven billion of us, well, let's just say. Most people in the world are doing the best they can. Mm. 
with what they've got. With what they've got. And, and yeah. the other question was what, what nurtures people to... I can't remember what you said. Yeah. What was the question? What nurtures... Um, well, the idea of the nurturing is... <laughs> just oh. as a... Just as a <laughs> what nurtures people to believe in other people with a right. generous spirit? Mm. How do you continue to cultivate that? What nurtures genuine hope? That was the question you asked. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> what nurtures genuine hope yeah. in people? Yeah. And I think it, it ties into what they believe fundamentally about themselves and about other human beings. And are they viewing history uh, through the lens of, I guess, cynicism, Hobbesian cynicism, it's all nasty, British right. and or are they viewing it through the lens of, I guess... Christ or progressive humanism is yeah. sort of the yeah. secular alternative to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and genuine hope is nurtured when people can believe that we are doing the best with what we've got. That even though, yes, there is a darkness to humanity and a, an ease with which we can slip into malice and cruelty which is the banality of evil mm, stuff mm. acknowledging that sort of like going into the shadow in Jungian terms but mm. also understanding that the shadow is not all we are you can't just look mm. you get a completely skewed view of history and a completely skewed view of the people around you in your immediate circle and also what's going on in the world if you're just looking through the, the shadow and seeing everything that we're capable of that is evil and not understanding that that, um, that actually that's just a lens yeah and you know what but one of the themes of the book I'm writing is really that that we have to intentionally have to it, it helps to to look at what's going on in our lives and in our sphere of influence and um and consider it from a kindness lens and think there's a lot yeah. more kindness if we look for it. Yeah. Yeah. If we look to, to actually see it. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just rushing through our day. Yeah. But just noticing, that's just this awareness, coming back to the awareness thing. Mm. When you, all the little interactions that people are having, what's sitting yeah. underneath it. And it's not, it's <laughs> not the will, I mean, it's not the drive to have power over people. Yeah. You know, that whole thing around hegemonic power, which is where I want to go to next. Yeah. Which is, um, I don't know if we can do it in this show, but it's no. this whole social binary thing is oppressed, oppressed right? Yeah. And that, that everything should be interpreted through power struggle. Yeah. 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 No, I don't agree with that. Good. <laughs> but we won't unpack that right now. Yeah. <laughs> so this whole discussion that we want to have next is about, um, again, it comes back to, well, so what's equality really mean? Mm. And maybe put a, a a Victor Frankl kind of approach mm. on that. Who was the psychiatrist who wrote the Yes to Life guy? Yeah, the Yes to Life guy. Yeah. So for those who have um, been listening, um, we have covered much ground. I can't even remember everything that we talked about. <laughs> no. Well done if you've followed the conversation because. Yeah. Basically, what we're saying is. Um, Live, live well. 
live well. Life is a circle. Life is a circle. Um, there are w- circles in life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. I guess the last thing I've, there are circles in life. Um, the last thing is you have incredible influence. We all have incredible mm. influence in the lives of other people. So, how we are matters. Yeah. And um, any last thought? Um. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, uh, I feel quite put on the spot. Last thought. It has to be very profound. Oh no. (laughs) The last thought is as if it's the last word you'll ever say. Oh gosh. Oh man. That's going (laughs) down. All right. I'd say this. I would say this. Uh, Yeah. You you matter. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to go with that. It's because you put me on the spot. I, I know, don't know I how know. to be prof- When I'm profound, you know, it just has I, to come out of me naturally. You know, one of the things I, I do do in group is I used to have a book called um, How to Survive a Bullet to the Heart. It's a book of, po- book of mm. poems written by a New Zealand author. Right? And one of them is First and Last Words. This right. prisoner yeah. wrote a song, a song, a poem, mm. and, and um, about the first and last words. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry for putting you on the spot. Yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll think about my yeah. last words. Yeah, just ponder it. Think about your last. <laughs> okay, so on that note, on that note, wherever you're heading, um, um, uh, much love and respect. And again, thank you, Mapemaya, and mm. you've been listening to Sensing Bros. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Actually, those would be my last words. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, universe. Thanks for having me, universe. It's been good. Bye. Where is love? Does it fall from skies above? Is it underneath the willow tree that I?
Father, Father, Father. 